there are many days where it doesn't. It drudges up far more than just the single, simple, one-dimensional experience of, I lost my son. Um, it's, it's more complex than that. Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Uh, I am so glad you are here. Um, Moira Gorski here. And today is a day that um, it's always a great day when I can record uh, to put uh, words of hope and recovery and wellness out into the world. Today, my dear friend, Kim McNeil, is joining me with a different story, but also a similar story as we talked about before uh, we pressed record here. And so uh, Kim McNeil, again, is a friend of mine. I met, I think, as you moved into town and came to the same church that I was attending. Uh, We became good friends. We joined in an organization uh, in our town to support... um, all kinds of other organizations. We became hockey mom friends. And um, ah, I didn't know I was going to get emotional right in the beginning. And I um, attended your son's funeral um, at the tender age of 11, uh, Ross passed. And um, we've had many of conversations, good and bad, um, happy and sad. And why I wanted, um, one of the reasons why I thought of you to to have you come to talk with me today is, I, n- I remember when I reached out to you and said, I want to talk to you about losing a child. Because as my daughter has struggled with her eating disorder, I feel like I've lost her. Um, a terrorist has taken over her mind and her body. And um, it's hard for me to see my daughter many days. And Although I have not, she has not, fortunately, physically died, I feel like I have lost her many times. And, um, and so I wanted to talk about that a little bit and just, you know, have you share your story. And then as it goes on, and as many have done through the grief, through the, through the things that have happened, you've gone on to again, do wonderful things with a nonprofit and raise funds and things like that. So let's just start, if you will, Kim, um, with your story and, um, and we'll just go on from there. I'm really, I'm so honored, Kim, that you are spending some time with me today. Well, it's, um, you are a dear friend. We have a lot in common, um, things that we are happy to have in common and things that we are very, um, deeply sorrowful that we have in common. So, um, I'm always happy to talk to you, though this is probably our deepest and most difficult topic, Mm -hmm. right? It is. Yeah. 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 I mean, as we talked a little bit as before we came on, you know, I, I love the work that I do with this podcast that I've been doing since the beginning of 2020. I hear compliments. I hear feedback that it's helping people. Um, You share stories of hope. That's really my 
that's really what my mission is. And to also show women and men, caregivers, people that are um, taking care or loving those that are struggling, how to really take care of themselves to mm-hmm. get off of the roller coaster. Someone t- spoke to me the other day about getting out of the ring, like getting out of the boxing mm-hmm. ring, you mm-hmm. know, and that's again, different than when you're watching someone die, but it's that idea that I never lose hope, but I had this expectation and maybe we can start by talking about this. I had, you know, I have expect, you know, when I hear a good thing, like Anna's had a good day or she's called me and I hear a different tone in her voice. I was like, wow, things are turning around. So I have that expectation and I tell my friends and I journal Mm -hmm. about it and, oh, this is great. And maybe this is the time. And then the next conversation is a phone call from a counselor who says she's this way, she's gone to the, and so it's that, up yeah. and down. And I've had to learn to like never lose hope, but give up the expectation yeah. it, that she'll recover, which sounds really bad, but it's like, I understand. Yeah. I think my version of that, I, I, under, I, I understand what you're saying, or I can hear what you're saying. I have a version of that same experience. Ross's brain tumor was diagnosed when he was nine years old. Uh, seven years old, excuse me. And for four years, he would be in, you know, very intense therapy, treatment, chemotherapy, radiation, full brain radiation, stem cell transplant, you name it. And for four years, he would, he would experience that regimen of treatment. In many cases, it would last eight, nine months, and then he would be cancer free. So that's my equivalent, Moira, to your you know, I got a good phone call from Anna. Her voice sounded good. Um, I would get my version of that is we'd get a phone call. The MRI is clear. Wow. We are off and on to freedom now, life the way it used to be. And then there's follow-up, you know, scans and MRIs and things that um, then maybe or maybe not continued that same um, positive um, assessment And um, then we get the phone call that it came back and then we'd start all over. So I have a kindred understanding to what you're describing. For me, it, I, I would say, as you just shared, like, you know, maybe it's, you know, relative to how do I hope for her recovery? For me, I learned to live in a 24 hour space. And in a, in, I would genuinely say in a pretty positive way, and especially did this with my two children, we would talk about often talk about in the morning, say getting ready for school or what have you, like, it's going to be a great day. This is a great day. It's going to be a great day. And, and whether we literally said it or we said it like that, we all knew that our focus was on 24 hours. We've been given this day we all feel good. He's healthy or he's now in treatment really kind of almost didn't matter. We have another day. So we'll take it. And we know we also had the very um, honest and very direct conversations I did with my little kids um, that we aren't, but by the way, nobody is promised tomorrow. So trying to help us get out of that 
or at least not stay in it, <laughs> that place where you really feel sorry for yourself, which is honest and truthful. Mm-hmm. But um, we would say, you know, nobody has promised tomorrow, neither are we. So we've got today and today is looking pretty good. So let's go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's all we, you know, it's all we can do. It's all you can sometimes emotionally, especially on the days where, you know, they're not good days, but you have the day and you're together and you're here, whatever, but you know, in our case, you're facing brain surgery tomorrow, or you're facing pretty, pretty unbearable treatment starts tomorrow, whatever that massive thing is that's on the near horizon. Um, uh, You know, we have today, so let's try to take a breath and live it. And then we'll wake up tomorrow and figure that one out. Mm-hmm. And it, that, that's, um, that's a, takes an enormous toll on everybody too. Um, but that's, you know, how we oh, went about it. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's the being present. I think it's being present and being grateful, mm-hmm. you know, all at once and, right. you know, on a, you know, kind of fun way that I'm learning about how difficult I still have being present sometimes Mm -hmm. and um is with my ballroom dance like Mm -hmm. it's like you know they're teaching me that like I gotta close my feet (laughs) and it's like (laughs) when you close your feet you get ready for the next step and you balance yourself and you're and you're present right there and you're not thinking about the next step and you're not thinking about the one before but you're right there oh how lovely Wow. I know that. And I'm telling you, wow. it is a challenge for me. And every time an instructor says, close your feet, what are you doing? Close your feet. I am reminded. I'm like, yes, I need to stay present. And I mean, that's why I've said before, like ballroom dance is just a metaphor for life because that's just one thing that I'm learning uh, as I go in there and dance because I'm yeah. on to then I am off and on to the next step. Yeah. And they're like, can you just for one, stop thinking about the next step, you know, stop thinking and just let me lead you and just, but come here and balance and get ready for the next thing. And that is kind of that, again, living in the moment Mm -hmm. and being grateful for what you have, you know, because we don't know, and we may know what's coming next. We may not, but. Right. Wow. That's a beautiful metaphor. That is really overwhelming, isn't it? <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I did not expect that when I started right. just right. going, I just wanted, just wanted to have to a dance. little fun. <laughs> I wanted to have some fun and I wanted to dance. Yeah. Boy, right. um, I mean, the things that have, you know, about facing my fears, facing my insecurities. I mean, it's been, you know, and you know me, I'm a fairly confident person, but yeah, boy, you do, you know, you, it's, it's really taught me. It continues to teach me a lot about me and how I'm showing up. Um, but that being present is, uh, continues to be a challenge. It's a, it's, it takes full-time energy. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not, okay, let's just say that. And then, you know, the day just goes about itself pretty, pretty simply. It's not, it's a, it's a literal moment by moment effort. And mm-hmm. on those hard days, it might be a second by second effort. Like Mm -hmm. I have to just be in a tight loop with courage. It drudges up. Um, You know, when I think of grief 
or I think of my grief. I am by no means a grief expert or a grief scholar, or I've studied, I know the stages of grief, all of that, but all I know is how it sort of lives inside of me. And I've thought for myself frequently how grief is like our own, my own little pond out in the middle of maybe some beautiful farm pasture. And the pond can look so beautiful and still and calm and pretty and colorful on the surface. You know, when people drive by, walk by, that's what they notice. And, but what's really present for me is what's down, you know, like if you take a dive down in that pond, what's at the bottom? And that that pond can drudge up things if you let it. And there's some days, believe me, I don't let it because I can't. I have to face something or I have something happening and I just can't. But there are many days where it doesn't. It drudges up far more than just the single, simple, one-dimensional experience of I lost my son. Um, it's, it's more complex than that. Mm-hmm. Way more complex. And that's a really, it's a really beautiful way to, to talk about it. Drudging that up. I just was speaking with someone about things that happened to her in the past and so much and so many layers and, and the pain that continues, you know, the pain that, you know, the pain that comes from talking about it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. some days it's okay. And some days it's just, like you said, you don't want to do it or it's um, or a pain that I was in a therapist's office once and, um, you know, going in the beginning of the stages of Anna struggling. And, you know, I've had my own eating disorder and a friend had said, so are you triggered by all this? And I'm like, no, not triggered to do any of that stuff I did in college. But I said, you know what? I'm triggered because of the pain that I feel. Like when your past is seemingly repeating itself in front of your face and they tell you that there's a genetic component and then you're like, what? You know, it's like this pain, but that there are times I believe that we need to sit in that office or sit with some friends or sit by that pond by ourselves and and go through that pain because there is healing in that. There can be healing. And there's other days that we want the pond to just, just stay smooth. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, to that, I'm a pretty visual. Um, I like to live in a visual experience. Uh, so I think a lot about metaphors to what am I feeling or what is really happening? I, I think a lot about that. I always have. And, and to go back to the pond metaphor, that is really helpful to me, at least. I also think about when that, when it dredges up things, sometimes I have to try to physically, emotionally, whatever, get that cleared off, scoot it over to the side, scoop it out, throw it away. And, and sometimes that happens And I'm not smart enough to describe sort of how that actually happens, but I think you understand (laughs) what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it just sinks right back down to the bottom and it's going to come up again some other time. Mm -hmm. So I try to give myself a little bit of 
of permission to realize that, you know, I can't just clean the bottom and be done with it. I, I don't know that anyone is given that sort of get out of grief free card. <laughs> I don't, I mean, if they have, I'd really like to hear how that happens. I'd sign up for that. But I don't think you get out of grief. I think once you're introduced into that vortex, you are there. That is my experience. Yeah. Let's talk about faith in all of this. Because I certainly, again, I met you at church. I know you have a faith. I know my faith has been shaken. And my faith has been strengthened through all of this. I have a faith that's different than it was growing up. Um, growing up in the church and the Baptist church and all of those wonderful things. So my faith has become something that's truly my own through this. And um, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. You know what? I'm not sure I knew um, you and I were both raised uh, Baptist. I, I, I would say, uh, have said this, that without faith, a true, simple, relationship with Jesus and an understanding on my own level of what that is for me. And I know that I would not be upright. Mm -hmm. I know that I would not have survived the past um, years and be in the same place that I am. I know that. Um, so that's how important it is to me. It's um, mostly pretty private for me, though I have also talked about it a lot. What's interesting is there have been many young people, I used to call them kids, they're not anymore. When Ross was diagnosed, friends of my daughter's, friends of Ross's, that I had that exact conversation with, like how... Do I understand this? How am I dealing with it? How am I not sort of not functioning? And so there were a lot of young people that came to me very openly and said, you know, I need to like ask you some questions. And they did center around faith. I think the other thing for me, let's pretend that my faith was not solid and it is. I, I believe in heaven. I have a complete comfort with that. I'm really grateful for that because when, uh, the day that Ross was diagnosed, I remember saying, ultimately, we know we are okay because we have the promise of heaven. And both of my children have faith and had already established their own faith and relationship with Jesus when this all began. So I'm, I'm, enormously grateful for that because we all had to make sure we remembered that that's where we could turn. I would add though, that I think much of my peace and I have described myself as I really am at peace, which does not mean I don't have sorrow by the way, which throws a lot of people a little confused. But my peace comes also from the fact, in addition to my own relationship and faith, my son, Ross, was completely peaceful, at peace with everything that happened to him. 
So because he did not have anger, his faith was clear. He also understood that, you know, we would all live our eternal life in heaven. He had peace. So I did not have to struggle with a child who was tortured and tormented and angry and fighting back in that way um, was really a gift he gave me. So um, it just magnified to me the importance and the value and the privilege of having that sort of trust really and faith. Yeah. Well, and um, a couple things. I mean, for those listening that knew Ross, you know, the wonderful, joyful boy that he was. And those that didn't have the privilege, let me tell you, I mean, he was, you know, I'll never, I mean, just a few times that I'll, um, you know, never forget, we ran into each other at a, at a hockey rink, you know, and he wasn't playing at the time. He wasn't able to play, but he came for a tournament game or something like that. And he finished right before my, one of my sons was going on, probably Tommy. And um, I saw him and he's like, oh, hi. And he was like, how's the game? Or how's the game going to be? Or like, he wasn't talking about him. He was never talking about him. He was talking about, how are you doing? How are the boys playing? I don't remember exact words, but I know it was about somebody else other than him. Mm -hmm. It was about the homeless guy, right? I mean, he wanted to feed the homeless. I mean, he wanted to help other people. And he just always was so joyful and so happy. And it was Ross. I mean, he just wanted to help. He was wise beyond his years. Yeah. He, well, thank you. That is, um, I could listen to you say that all day. And that is the genuine truth and the privilege it was to be his mother. And the, you know, there were days that were so dark. And he just never experienced that. And it took me, my daughter, to, it pulled us right back up as close to him as we could be. You know, we couldn't always experience the same level of joy he did, but wow, what a gift it was to watch him live. And I say live like with a capital L, which I think about every day now without him, without being able to watch him and see him smile and see him reach out to somebody else who is struggling. Meanwhile, I know what his struggles are. Now I have to do that by myself, if you will, but it isn't because I can see those millions of moments so clearly. And I think that's also what he gave me to live through grief because Um, I've also thought, uh, you know, my, I, I know that people look at my story and your story and say, well, there are events along this continuum and, you know, you're healing, you're getting stronger, you're returning to life, you know, regular life, you are whatever, whatever those, whatever people say to you, they've said that those versions to me hundreds of times. I sort of correct that in my mind. I don't try to do that to people, although I suppose on a podcast, I'm now doing it, but 
grief is not like a scar. Here it is. A scar for me is a sign of pain. Okay. You had surgery, you had an injury, you had a fall, an accident or whatever. But the scar, the actual scar is an example, a visual example of healing. It healed. I can see it, but it healed. So you're kind of done, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there are, I think there's a general under uh, feeling impression that grief is, is a version of a scar. So over time, you know, how many years has it been? Well, I can tell you how many years I can tell you how many minutes probably. So it must be easier. It must be, you know, less hard holidays aren't as difficult or whatever. Um, I, let me help correct that. Grief is not a scar. It is an open wound that does not heal. You don't get the gift of the scar, in my opinion. My grief is a direct equivalent to the amount of love that I had for my son. So I can say there's really not a word that can quantify the size of grief that I feel. Enormous doesn't even come close to that. But it's also, I think... For me, the understanding begins when you realize that it's not a scar. It's not. It doesn't heal. It doesn't get easier over time. I can talk for hours about how it actually gets more difficult over time. My son passed away eight years ago. Most people will hear that and say, oh, well, you're like, living your life now and you're happier and maybe my voice even sounds like, you know, I haven't started to cry yet. I'm pretty good at managing that. So you're not going to get that from me. Um, so people assume that your scar has healed over. It's not as tender anymore. Couldn't be further from the truth for me, further from the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Someone, um, I think you know that my mother passed in April and by the grace of God, I believe I was led to a woman who I interviewed on the day that we brought my mother home into hospice. And she has a wonderful business that she has helping women give themselves permission to bloom again, past that um, translated to a wonderful business she's in, but she's also an end of life doula. And I, she told me that, and we sat and talked about the, the grief, not it's, that it's okay, but grief is a form, it's, it's how, when we grieve so much, it's because we've loved so much. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't listened to listeners, if you haven't listened to that podcast, go back and listen to that. Claudia Goltzelman, wonderful German gal, we had had a great conversation, but it is that we love, we grieve so much because we've loved so much, mm -hmm. you know, and um and also, again, but people have heard on this podcast before, because I've told the story before, that there was, you know, a, there was a house walk or something in Wheaton, and I was with my friends, and we went through, and, you know, Anna was in treatment, and so I was without her, and we saw the lovely house walk, and we saw people Anna's age, we saw their moms, and it was great, and we had a great day, beautiful homes, all this, it was a fundraiser up on the north side, and I got in my car, and I started to cry. And I didn't know why. And I was with a therapist at the time. So we processed through that as you, as you will on our next session. I'm like, what was that all about? 
And I, you know, I said, I saw all these moms and their daughters and the kids that were my, my, it's my daughter's age. And I, my, she said, you can grieve for a life that you wish you had. Yeah. And then I think that's part of the continuation of the fact that it doesn't heal because you may feel like you're doing better and you don't feel so sad and sorrowful. And then something like that happens, or you go on vacation and you're sitting on a beach. I'm the one that's crying today. And you see a family that has all of their kids with them, it seems like. And you miss your daughter because you know your daughter loves the beach and she loves to surf like with her brothers and now not surf, but you know, they go out there with their boogie boards and they're, and it's those type of things that just come up when you think you're doing okay. And then you're not. Yeah. So, you know, I, I can see Ross's face on every thing that I view in a given day, not to mention the major things like his class, he would have graduated, you know, high school a year ago. They just finished their first year in college. Not to mention graduation, homecoming, prom, getting pictures, going on college visits, going off to school, let alone hockey tryouts, all of these things. That Every one of those things is deeply personal and deeply absent your person. And and you know we've we have all heard this i think it's been a, a pretty public dialogue about you know you lose someone that you've also lost a piece of your life and your existence you know i'm not driving him to hockey anymore or i'm not going and cheering on you know hockey i love the game i miss it in mm-hmm. that way so there are examples of things like that that you and I actually have lost in our life. You, there are things, experiences that you've lost because Anna isn't always by your side or in your life. Or, and the same for me. And so I think it is that for me, it's, it, it, it goes back to, well, it looks like the pond is still and beautiful and calm and happy. But there's, you don't know how deep it is underneath. I might let you see that I might not. We all have to make those choices for ourselves in the right ways. But I've had thousands of those moments that you're describing more where it might be going through a drive-through for chicken nuggets, which he loved, that can put me into, by the time I get to the pickup window, the sweet person that's there is like, are you okay? And I'm shaking my head like, no, I'm actually not. Even the smell, which we know our smells are so powerful. So it's that um, the other thing, and not to be like silly about all this, but these are like the three sort of metaphors that have been super important to me. I've, I've talked about, you know, there's a hole in my heart. It, 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 you have a hole in there that is never filled that hole in your heart when you lose a child or a parent or anybody, I'll just talk to my experience. I lose a child. It's never filled by anybody else. Now I wasn't of the age where people were encouraging like, well, maybe you'll have more children, but people do say that to parents, women who lose children that are younger. Um, it no, 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 to be clear, no, it does not work that way. Nothing ever fills that hole in your heart of that Ross has left in his absence in my life. 
um, it's always his. So what I try to do is garden around the hole. But the hole is there. And I think, I wonder if you have this experience, that's where it gets hard for me to know that like, it never expires for me, but for the greater world, I could literally timeline it for you. You know, the days after Ross's passing and his service and all, there there was a change in relationships to the real world. Then, you know, first anniversaries come along and then, and, and there's a there's a relationship between friends in the world and, and my grief and me. And then a few more anniversaries go by and that, and it changes, you know, quite a bit. And then there's a very clear point at which it's not generally acknowledged anymore. And the, the, the hardest thing is to not hear your child's name spoken or you don't hear a reference to, we miss Ross. I wish he were playing in this tournament, or I wish he was at graduation with us. You hear that less and less to a point when you don't hear it at all. Now, in the event that anyone is listening who is in that tight circle, or they were close friends with Ross, his closest buddies, and these are young people, have never stepped that far away. They talk about him. They tend to his memory. They connect with me and my daughter frequently. They are doing grief support perfectly. It's that larger world. Um, and I'm not, I'm not attempting to point any fingers, but just to say the truth that the world so trite to hear it, but it's so painful. The world does go on. And of course I go on, I'm living, I've aged, I've gone on, but I don't look at it that way. It's very, very, very different. And it's very difficult. So I just find that, you know, grief coming from whatever source it comes from, I can only imagine that there's things that we share relative to the enormity of you know, this thing that moved in on our lives uninvited and does not ever go away. Yeah. Yes. Um, Beautifully said. You know, as you say, we garden around the hole. I do want to, again, make that emphasis too, that that's so important. You know, I have learned that that's what's kept me upright besides my faith um, is the things that I do every day. And as someone said to the other me the other day, well, how do you, I'm like, you know what? I do this and I, this and I, this, and it's the working out and the supplementation and the walks and the yoga and the books and the, I don't know, binge watching a show and maybe a bo- too much bottle of wine or whatever. It's all of those things that I now say that this is a necessity for me. And I've had to learn that. And it's so, and again, it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't close the hole. No, but um, it makes the garden, you know, it gets you out in the garden. You have to do that. And I yeah. just, you know, because it's work, it's, it's a job. I, I say to myself, because there are so many days when, you know, you're alone or always alone and, you know, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted all the time. And I think what I've concluded for myself <laughs> 
<laughs> is that it is, you know, I have daily life things that I do. I have a, a full-time job, which is um, a lot of pressure and a lot of work, a lot of hours. And then in addition, what is not really seen by anybody, and sometimes I don't even acknowledge it for myself, is that grief is a job. It is a job to persevere it. It's almost, I go back to what you said about earlier, I think before we were recording about being in the ring. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're in the ring fighting against something that is not exactly great. You know, it's not positive. It's not a, it's not in our lives by invitation. Mm -hmm. So that's also a job. And I, and I feel like it might make sense why I'm exhausted, (laughs) (laughs) right? You know, to have a full-time job and live your life and all that can be, can be a lot. And then, and then you have this always, always present monster that is trying to suck you down (laughs) and you're trying to plant a marigold around Mm -hmm. the hole, just Mm -hmm. one little marigold. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, and I think you, you said something to Moira about somebody said to you, I'm sure they've said it. I'm sure it's happened a thousand times because it has for me as well. Um, the comment, I just don't know how you do it, man. How many times I've heard that, which is interesting all by itself. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean like, you know, I expect you at any moment to do A, B, and C, or, you know, I can't, believe you're even standing. I don't, I don't know what that means, but I hear it all the time. I just don't know how you do it. Often my response is, well, what choice do I have? (laughs) Right. That's exactly what I was going to say. And I do have a choice and the alternative is dark. And you and I both have other children. I have one other daughter who is worth the choice that I'm making, which is what choice do I have? Mm. But it's that, you know, not everybody wants to hear that because that goes kind of deep all of a sudden. (laughs) And, you know, most people I think really want to kind of quickly walk on by because it's a lot, it's, it's hard. Um, But if you want to throw that out there, (laughs) for me, it kind of starts with, well, what choice do I have? Um, And uh, I'm going to do the best I can. Um, it just is great when people acknowledge how hard that might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, a um, couple things, you know, I have decided I've made the choice that I want to be a living example to whoever wants to see mm-hmm. that you need to take care of yourself, regardless of what's going on around you. Yeah. And that you're not defined by, you know, your circumstances don't have to dictate the life that you live. Again, we're not negating the grief <clears throat> and the hole and the pond and all that. Sure. But I've decided that I want to be a living, I want to be, first of all, a living, loving example to myself, that I love myself first. I saw some post on Facebook today about loving others. You got to first love yourself. I mean, it's true. I need to love myself to a healthy life and be a living example, you know, to others. And, um, 
like, and I told you this before we went live, like somebody walked by, I haven't seen her. And I hardly, I have to say, I hardly know her, but she happened to be out for a nightly walk. I was out with my dogs and she came up behind me, kind of scared me. And we had a conversation and she said that she thinks of me often and my daughter. I was like, like that, those type of things, kind of like what you're saying, like when people acknowledge that I miss Ross, like when someone says that, I mean, it gives me the chills. It's like, you it's actually- enormous. I said, it you actually enormous. think of me? I didn't say that. Like, you think of me? I just say, thank you. But like yeah. that enormity that they say that they say a prayer for my daughter almost yeah. on the daily and they pray for me when they drive by my house. I mean, I've had that. It it means so much. And again, we don't, I don't share so that I can get that, but I want people to hear that, boy, that means a lot. I I would underscore that and say, you know, if someone is listening and, and they're listening because they know someone who's going, who's facing a lot and is grieving in their own experience. I really, I, I really don't want to say this as though it's advice. It's, it's um, the suggestion I would give to anybody. And I'd really underscore it is you, you, you will never understand the power and and the gift you give someone like you, someone like me, when you have the courage to say something about the real experience that's happening. And whether that is as she approached you and what she said to you, or it's someone who says to me, sends me a note, sends me a text, says to me in the grocery store, um, I thought of Ross yesterday. You don't, I, don't, don't be afraid. I'm not going to make you sit down and listen to me and watch me cry for two hours. You know, I understand the fear of that because a lot of us are afraid of, I don't know how to handle someone's grief. So I don't want to open it up. Right. Mm-hmm. But please do because it's already open. And, and to me, it's like, remember, it's not a scar. It's not healed over and tight and and safe. It is already open. So the, the, the gift you give to someone when you acknowledge um, what you understand about their experience and whether it's just, Hey, something reminded me of Anna today, or I'm just thinking about how hard your days might be Moira. I just want you to know is, isn't it? Mm, it is a wonderful gift. It's, it's um it's amazingly enormous and i would say that especially also for my daughter for your sons it's almost that age level like really needs it and how often do they get it mm-hmm. because think about it how many young people whether they're in their 20s um on some level you know have even experienced grief yet let alone to say, wow, I should acknowledge that for Rachel, for Paul, for whomever. Um, it is so deeply appreciated and needed. That's like my one message to put out in the world that, you know, don't just don't be afraid. You're probably, we're probably going to let you out of that pretty easily, <laughs> right. right? Like, thank you. And I appreciate it deeply. And then you can move on. <laughs> um, but it's it's not often. Mm-hmm. 
So it just creates a, a lonesome um, journey to, you know, work at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got a text from someone today who sent a picture that popped up on her Facebook feed mm-hmm. of her daughter and my daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She sa- she sends them often. And it's yeah. a wonderful reminder of, again, a happy time in both of their lives. Exactly. Um, we are up on a deadline here um, and a time. So um, please, if you're listening, um, I will put um, the nonprofit, the foundation that Kim has started, uh, started and is raising money and awareness for um, pediatric brain cancer. You are doing, and again, it's not a job you chose, but you are doing an outstanding job. When I read the statistics on the cards that come to my house of the money that's been raised and the research that's being done, it is it is incredible. And I honor you for that. So, but today was wonderful. Thank you for this. Um, Thank you. you. Know, I, I told someone else the other day, and I thought about this morning as I was um, sending something to my editor and realizing I'm paying for, you know, editing and things like that. I said, you know, but this is like therapy for me. So all the money that I spent on this podcast, you know, it is for you listeners, but it's so much for me too. And today I knew that this would be a wonderful conversation and oh. there will be many more. For and, me also. Uh, yeah. For me also, I, I I will tell you in closing, I do think about you every day and I do think about Anna every day. And um, I, uh, it's not lost on me, um, your experience in this same sort of um, struggle of making choices to try to do Um, positive things for yourself and for others. You've done an incredible book of work that way and you do it every day and you do it beautifully and you're very giving as that simultaneous um, difficult thing of grief Mm -hmm. is in your life. I think about it for you all the time. Yeah. Thank you. And when I see uh, orange Jeep, I check the license plate and you know, I roll down the window and I put my arm out when it, when I know it's you. So <laughs> thank you, my dear friend. Thank you for being here today. Um, and um, again, thank you for listening. Please share this with those. Um, listen again. Um, I appreciate all of you and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. Share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. I've got a tribe over on Facebook, so head over there and search for Juggling the Chaos of Recovery Podcast Tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share, a story of recovery and hope? Please let me know as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts. And perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded, collaborative, and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.